Thanks for joining us here on the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Kathy Kuhn, the Counseling Director at Rolling Hills. This week we're beginning our series, Masterclass, where we'll be journeying through the Gospel of Mark chapter by chapter. Jesus is our master, and we'll be taking a class all summer long on how we ought to live with His Gospel as our textbook. In this first chapter of the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is baptized, declares the good news, and says to His disciples, come follow me. Will you choose to come and follow Him? We're so glad you're here to tune in for the start of this adventure with us, and as we hear about the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Well, good morning, Nolensville. How are you guys? This is awesome. Yeah, this is so great. I, uh, Pastor Jason gave me a walk around the new facility, which I hear you guys are going to have the opportunity to do after this is done. And it is awesome. I mean, it is so cool. I'm so excited for you all. I know you have been waiting so long to be in just a new permanent space. And so it's very exciting. Um, for those of you guys who don't know, I'm Kelly and I um, have been a part of Rolling Hills for a while. I attend the Nashville campus at Rolling Hills. So it only took me about an hour and 15 minutes to get here this morning. Um, No, it was awesome. It was beautiful, peaceful, and just was so reminded of how uh, just beautiful this part of our city is. And I'm just thrilled and I'm honored. And thank you, Jason, for having me this morning as we are going to be opening up a new series called The Masterclass on the Gospel of Mark. It's a 16-week series. We're going to be looking at one chapter per week. And so this morning, I have the opportunity of kind of setting up what the Gospel of Mark is about, and then we are going to look at some passages in chapter one. So a lot to cover uh, this morning, but I'm, I'm really excited. And, and I just want to say that I don't know how you came in this morning, if you came in Uh, burdened or struggling, perhaps you are in a situation where you have chosen obedience to Christ and you have really chosen that path and you assumed as I tend to assume that if I choose obedience, that that means that the path is going to be smooth sailing. And it seems that almost as a result of the obedience, things have gotten harder. Um, maybe there has been more struggle, more pain. Um, if, if that happens to you, be you today. If it is not you today, it will be you at some point. And, and, and I, I want you to, to understand, because this was good for my soul too, that Mark is writing directly to you. At least that's my understanding from the scholars that have looked at the Gospel of Mark. Now, the reason I say that Mark might be writing directly to us, if we're in that place, is because Mark was writing uh, probably in the mid-60s AD, for those of you guys who get really excited about that kind of thing, timelines, and was meeting, uh, ministering, writing to people who knew converts to Christianity, whether Jew or Gentile converts to Christianity, in Rome during a time of great persecution, possibly during the time of Nero, where new converts were being persecuted. And so Mark writes his gospel with a pretty significant emphasis on the suffering of Jesus, but not just the suffering of Jesus and his disciples, but also the glory. And, And so Mark wanted to let those new converts know that they were indeed on the right path 
that God had not forsaken them. Even though there was persecution, even though there was pain and there was hardship, they were on the right path. God had them and, and he, he said so much so I want you to see this is actually the path that your savior Jesus Christ walked and that the disciples walked. And that's why you'll also notice that Matthew is kind of loosely broken up into two sections or two acts. The first eight chapters deal primarily with Jesus' ministry in the northern part of Israel, in the Galilee area, where he is ministering, he is doing miracles, he is healing people. And then you get into the middle of chapter eight where Peter recognizes Jesus as the true Messiah, as the son of God. And the last half of Mark at that point begins a very slow march toward the cross a very slow march toward the suffering of Jesus Christ to Jerusalem and then eventually inside the city of Jerusalem. But then, of course, we know how it ends because you all were here last, last week at Easter, right? So it ends in glorification. And so Mark wants those of us who are in that place of hardship to know that God has not forsaken you. He's not forsaken us. In fact, maybe as you were singing Waymaker and you get to that part and it's like, even when I don't feel it, even when I don't see it, you never stop working. And I think Mark would resonate with that. Uh, another just little tidbit for us is that the author of Mark, it's John Mark, and he was not one of the 12 disciples, which I don't know if you've thought about that recently, but I kind of forget those little things, but it's kind of interesting. He was not one of the first, but he, we get to him more in Acts where he was friends with Paul, friends of Peter, friends of Barnabas, and it's most likely that Mark wrote this gospel based on Peter's account, Peter's firsthand account. So that's just a little bit of the background and a few things to be looking for, to be watching for as um, we go through. So um, I want to just kind of summarize what happens in the first 13 verses because there is a lot that I want to get into. But Mark opens up with John the Baptist, actually does not open up with Jesus. He opens up with John the Baptist, the forerunner to Jesus Christ. The prophets had predicted that there would be one that would go before the Messiah, one that would make uh, people ready that would pave the way. And that is how the gospel opens up um, this one who is going before. Now, I have uh, been in a situation uh, where I've been uh, undergoing some construction at my house. Um, honestly, this entire building will be done probably before my tiny little addition is done. I, it, they started in May of last year. It was supposed to be done at Thanksgiving of last year. We sailed past Easter. I'm about to lose my ever-loving mind. And I truly, like, if it's not done by July 4th, somebody just come find me in a hospital someplace. But one of the things that I've learned about the construction process is that the workers don't typically just, like, show up. Um, there's something that happens. Well, yeah, they don't, they don't show up at all, yes. And they don't just show up without somebody getting there ahead of time. And it's amazing. Um, some of you, maybe you guys are all doing additions to your house. I don't know. But... Uh, what would happen every so often in the mornings, and these would be glorious days, and they were always surprise days, is I would hear some really heavy-duty truck in my back, and I'd go running out there, and usually around 6.30 in the morning or something, there would be this delivery of supplies. It would be like a huge stack of wood, or it would be flooring, or it would be roof shingles, or it would be brick. And, and I always got so excited because I knew that a beloved worker would be showing up that day 
to do something with those materials. And the workers love, they want their stuff there. And they're all of these, these the forerunners that would get there ahead of them. And so I've also thought I'm totally in the wrong business. Not only can I just not show up if I don't want to, but also, um, I'm sorry, if there are builders in the room, you know I'm totally teasing and I'm at your mercy right now, 100%. So, uh, but but you, you understand, I, I, I love this idea of people getting there ahead of time. And I thought I've, as a writer, it'd be so wonderful. I could just show up in the morning, somebody had my computer open, they had my commentaries laid out, they had a cup of coffee. Like I'm just, all I have to do is just sit down and, and do my work. But John the Baptist was not preparing materials. He wasn't getting coffee ready. He was there to prepare hearts. Um, he wasn't delivering materials. He was saying to people, get your heart ready because the king of the kingdom is about to be in your midst. And so repent, um, turn around. There is forgiveness of sins available for you. So get yourself ready. Stop doing the things that you are doing. Stop living for the things that you are living and turn around and prepare yourself for this inbreaking of the kingdom for Jesus Christ. So John was baptizing disciples, not with the Holy Spirit, but um, water baptism for the forgiveness of sins. And then we see uh, the Spirit coming. And that is when Jesus then goes to John the Baptist to also be baptized. And the Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus. And we know that God speaks, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Well, after that, the Holy Spirit, so interesting, actually leads Jesus into the wilderness where he is tempted for 40 days and 40 nights by Satan himself. Another nod to the, the hardships that we sometimes experience as Christ followers, because I remember how profound it was the moment that I realized that the Holy Spirit lead, led Jesus into that wilderness, that Jesus was not hijacked by the enemy. He didn't sin and then therefore was driven there for the wilderness. The Holy Spirit led him to this battle with Satan I mean, I just didn't get up this morning excited about that thought, but what an encouragement that is for us who are in a battle right now to know that this doesn't mean we're on the wrong path. This might be exactly where the Holy Spirit has us and he is right there with us. Well, after Jesus emerges from that time, I want to read verses 14 through 15. There's slightly different translation on the screen, but you will get the gist here of Mark 1. After John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This good news is another phrase that we will see Mark use often. In fact, he may have been the one to coin the word gospel in other words, Jesus was coming and he was saying, there is a new thing happening. There is good news of the kingdom of God. It, the time of the kingdom has been fulfilled. All that Jew, the Jews and that humanity had been waiting for all of these years, waiting for the inbreaking of the kingdom of God, it is here and Jesus says, believe it. Repent, turn from your ways and live for this good news. Now, I have to say that, you know, last Sunday being Easter and, and a lot of things going on in, in my life, personally, with work, and my house is an absolute disaster right now. And I'm living in, like, just this tiny little bit. And I just, last week, and maybe some of you all can relate to this, I just, I was not in the Easter mood. You know that mood? 
that you're just not in sometimes. And I felt bad because I thought, Lord, this is Easter. I mean, this is the day of all the days. Like, I'm supposed to be in the mood for church and for the resurrection. And I, I just was not there. And I kind of made this prayer on the way out of my house, like, Lord, do something in me. Just do something outside of me. Like, I need to know that whatever you do, it's not coming from just me because I don't really have anything left right now and I need to experience you. I prayed that prayer. I don't know that I was terribly expectant that that prayer would be answered. But I got to our campus over at the, the Nashville campus and as we were in the middle of worship, it, I was just overtaken I would say the worship overtook me, but I, it was the Holy Spirit that just overtook me. And I had a profound sense of joy and celebration and hope. And the good news in that moment was profoundly good news. And maybe you all have had those experiences where the good news of the kingdom is just such good news. And it was such good news to me. And I just began to cry. And all of the eye makeup that I had spent so much time on that morning was in my eyes. It was all over my face. And I, I was just a wreck. And, but part of it was not only was I so thankful for what the good news of the kingdom means, but I was also lamenting for those that I know in my own neighborhood that have not come to believe in the good news and they are living for the things of this world that are so temporal and so broken and they do not have the presence and the comfort of the Holy Spirit and the hope of Jesus in their midst. And so I, I was just, I was crying. I was just so thankful. I was so celebratory of, of the good news. And, and, and if you're wondering today, like, how do, you, how do you articulate this good news? The only way I know how to say it is what I had in that moment is I was looking around and I thought, here I am on a Sunday morning with all of these people around me, sinners, broken, but saved by the grace of God. And I know that these people are here for me and I am here for them. And if I need prayer, they're here for me. And, and it, we share resources and we encourage and we have hope together that one day this world will be set right and we share with one another and we have dinners together and we laugh together and it is the circle of, of believers. It is the community of believers. And sometimes we forget how good, news, how much, how good that news is because we get, we get off in our jobs and we get you know, burdened by our families and all the different things that are going on and we forget that the kingdom, the power of the kingdom is an incredible community and it's a transforming community. So after Jesus announces this good news of this kingdom, he goes and begins to, to call some people to follow him. Now, if you are gonna announce something this radical, uh, you would think that Jesus would go to the CEOs in the area, you know, that he would go to the, the people with the real deep pockets, that he would go to the, 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 the people that with the political influence, that maybe he would try to talk Rome into to, to, to coming over to his side and, and maybe, you know, just influencing political powers. And, but what just gets me every time and that is so emotional for me is that Jesus does not go to that type of person immediately and the gospel we see will be for all people but he goes to four fishermen Peter and Andrew and James and John these are the first people that he calls to be part of this good news this 
new kingdom that has arrived on earth. And I hope that I never get over this. I hope I never get over that Jesus does not go to the elite and the powerful and the wealthy, not to the exclusion of them, but that he first goes to those who have no, no, no religious, they're, they're not some of the priests, they, they don't have social standing, they don't have status, and he simply says, come and follow me. And I hope that that is encouraging for you today, that there is absolutely no one who is outside of the welcoming voice of Jesus to come into his kingdom. I want to just point out today just four pieces of good news, four pieces of good news. And the first is this, the good news, Jesus welcomes anyone who will follow him. I mean, just... The fishermen. I mean, today, are you, are you willing to follow Jesus? It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what kind of biblical training you have or, or what your marital status is or what you have done or what has been done to you. There's no disqualification. It is just about being willing to say, Jesus, I want to follow you because I believe that you are Lord and Savior. And that is good news. There is not any other area or sect of the kingdom of this world that is this open-handed, that is this open-armed as the good news of the kingdom of God. I love what this one scholar says. This is not on your screen, but just, just listen to this. The kingdom of God comes not with fanfare, but through the gradual gathering of a group of socially insignificant people in an unnoticed corner of provincial Galilee. I mean, we're just expecting it to come with just so much more than this, but it's just this gradual, the kingdom, and you'll see this in Mark's gospel, that the kingdom of God, it's like a mustard seed. It's like yeast that moves um, through bread. It's this gradual movement that happens through people like you and like me. Well, now, G, now Mark is going to talk about uh, three significant healings, miracles that happen. And, and one of the things, and again, as you're going through Mark, take note, one of the things that would distinguish the coming Messiah, uh, something that the prophets were looking for to know if the Messiah had actually come, is that lepers would be cured, that the, that the blind would see, that the lame would walk that demons would be cast out. And so we see that the power that is coming from Jesus, we're gonna see it manifest in some of those areas today. But what I want us to recognize though is that Jesus did not solely come to do those things. He came to save souls. He came to show himself as the one true God and to redeem this world once and for all. So. I don't want the miracles or the healings to be end in, ends in themselves for us. I want us to see what Mark wants us to see is that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is the Messiah. And this will be profound for your life and my life right here, right in this moment, right in this community of believers. Verse 21 of chapter one, they went into Capernaum, this is Jesus and his disciples, and right away he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and began to teach. They were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them as one who had authority and not like the scribes. Just then a man with an unclean spirit was in their synagogue. 
He cried out, what do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit threw him into convulsion, shouted with a loud voice and came out of him. They were all amazed and so they began to ask each other, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. At once the news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity of Galilee. So Jesus goes on the Sabbath day into the synagogue and he begins to teach the people and right away they understand, they recognize that he is teaching with a different kind of authority, with a new kind of authority, with an actual authority, more so than the scribes. Now the scribes were the ones that knew the Old Testament law, they had studied the Torah, they had poured over it and they understood it intellectually, they understood it academically, they knew the things that they were supposed to do but they were missing a very important piece. They were missing that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. And there was a lack of the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when Jesus came in and began to teach the same Old Testament, the same law that the scribes had been teaching, the people actually thought it seemed new. They were like, what new teaching is this? But the thing is, is that Jesus, in one sense, wasn't actually teaching something new. He was simply interpreting it the way that it was supposed to always be interpreted. He was going back to the original text, but he was explaining that he was the fulfillment of it. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5, I think it's verse 17, Jesus says, I did not come to do away with the law, but to fulfill the law. And so in some ways, it was a brand new teaching, and in some ways, it was a new old teaching. But whatever it was, the people were astonished. They couldn't believe it. They loved it because it was so different from just the bland, stale, tepid kind of messages that they were used to receiving. There was power. There was newness here. I would have loved to have been there for that part. I would not have loved to have been there for the part where a demon starts crying out, (laughs) and throwing a person into convulsions. That would have scared me. And I am thankful that I have never experienced that. Um, However, as I said in the first service, that the older I get, the more aware I am of the dark forces of evil in our world. In fact, I think I've been more aware of it than I've ever been in my life. And Jesus here shows his power and authority to cast out a dark force, a demon that recognizes Jesus and knows that Jesus will have the final stay. And one day that Jesus will destroy him, that day had not yet come. But it is interesting, Jesus simply speaks the word, be silent, come out of him. And what did the people, they walked away and they said, the demons obeyed him. They had to obey him. And I underlined that in my Bible last night because I thought, that is it. Jesus has power over darkness. He has authority over evil and evil must obey him when he speaks. Now in that time, there were exorcisms of demons and things like that, but there was all these fancy things that people would do. There were these elaborate displays of these casting out. Jesus needed none of that. All he needed to do was simply speak a word. Um, maybe you are looking at the absolute breathtaking evil that is happening. Uh, 
right now in Ukraine and, and the unjust attack. Um, maybe you are looking at breathtaking evil in the lives of loved ones around you. Maybe it's addiction, maybe it's abuse. Um, there is so much darkness in this world and sometimes you can actually see it. You can almost physically see it warring within people. And I think one of the mistakes that I have made over the years is that when there is that darkness, when there is that oppression, when you just know something's not right, but you don't know exactly what it is, that that is not for me to go try to manipulate or figure out or talk somebody into, or that that is when I need to go to the one who has authority over that darkness and say, Lord Jesus, you command what needs to be commanded and it must obey. And so I don't know what kind of darkness you might be dealing with today, but boy, is it real. And boy, do we see it in our world today. And so I don't want us to miss the fact that, okay, so maybe we haven't had this exact situation happen, but we are contending with evil. And we should not be afraid of it, but we should be calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so one of the things that math, or excuse me, Mark wants us to see, and this is good news uh, number two, that Jesus has all power and authority over evil. This is part of the good news of the kingdom of God. Now the kingdom is not coming full, but it is at hand. It had come near. It is right now accessible to us since Jesus coming, his death, his resurrection, and the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Jesus has power over all all evil, and he has authority over it. And this is wonderful, wonderful news of the kingdom today. All right, let's continue reading in verse 29. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went into Simon and Andrew's house with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law was lying in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he went to her, took her by the hand, and raised her up. The fever left her, and she began to serve them. When evening came after the sun had set, they brought to him all those who were sick and demon-possessed. The whole town was assembled at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and drove out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. We're going to see this go back and forth where Jesus is teaching with great power and authority, and then we're going to see him heal and tend to people's needs and, and, and tend to their personal situations. And I love this because it is a reminder that the Christian faith, the Christian life is not just about, it, it's not just about teaching, it is also about the, the good works that we are doing in this life, the good actions that the Lord has prepared for us to do. But it is also not just about the good works without the teaching. Both, they're not the same, but they're intertwined that the message of Jesus and the deeds of Jesus all come together in a very powerful way. And you're gonna just see Jesus weave in and out of these places. And it is how we should operate in our own lives. We know the word of God so well that we have a good word to speak, a truthful word to speak, a kind word, an encouraging word, a, maybe a challenging word. But then we also are gonna meet people when they're sick. We're gonna help them when they're in hard situations. We're gonna maneuver in and out of these places like Jesus does. But he goes into this, uh, to Peter's mother-in-law's home. And this is kind of significant because here, Peter's mother-in-law being a woman, it would have been 
at least by some traditions, it would have been a violation for some true Jewish traditions for a man like Jesus, for a rabbi to touch a woman's hand. And not to mention that all of this is happening on the Sabbath. And it was against the interpretation of the law for the Jews to be working on the Sabbath. And going and healing somebody would have been work, even though Jesus will later rebuke that and say, look, I did, I did not go back and read your Old Testament. God does not require sacrifice. He requires mercy. And it wasn't that the sacrifices weren't important. It's just that the sacrifices weren't to usurp the, 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 the movement of compassion and of love for people. And so Jesus is on a Sabbath going and he is healing someone and he is helping someone here, but he's not just helping anyone, he's helping a woman. And this is significant because this was a very patriarchal society and women did not have the standing that men had. They were not deemed as important. And so for Jesus to take time right at the top of, of his ministry on earth, right at the top of the inbreaking of his kingdom, for him to go to a woman who is lying in bed sick with a fever and heal her is saying a lot to us. Um, it's, it says a lot to us here. In fact, Matthew really strategically points that out in his gospel, specifically that Jesus is going to some of the outcasts in these different places. And, and he wanted us to see that. In Matthew's gospel, Mark has packaged it slightly different, but no less important. So Jesus goes to her and he takes her by the hand and he raises her up. I think it's in Luke's gospel that he says he actually rebukes the fever. She, the fever leaves her. And don't you love this? It says, and she began to serve them. Which is like, isn't that just so our lives, right? You know, something we get, we get better and then immediately we just have to go back to work. We have to just go and start doing things. And that word serve is actually in the Greek, it's a word that uh, really is oftentimes used to describe, especially in, later in the New Testament, the life of the new believer. So the, the person who has come to Christ, that they become servants or slaves of the Lord. And it, it, it's a, just a very specific word that, that tends to describe discipleship. Now, we don't know for sure exactly how this word is being used. Uh, we, know, we do know that she gets up and she begins to serve. So it is possible that as soon as this fever leaves her, Peter's mother-in-law gets up and she begins to put the charcuterie board together and she's getting the tea and the coffee on and she's annoyed, you know, like all, no. And, but, but it's, it, it's possible that it's more than that because in Matthew's gospel, it actually says that immediately she got up to serve him, Jesus. Mark's like, well, and the disciples too, right? And that's good news too, because we're supposed to serve almighty God and we're supposed to serve one another. But what some scholars believe is that not only was she just physically serving, but that this was the moment of Peter's mother-in-law's conversion to Christ. This was the moment that she becomes a true disciple, a true follower of Christ, that she gets up and she begins to serve Jesus with her life. I like that interpretation. Um, I am been reflecting even as we were singing that song about how the Lord held back the waters for our release. And I, I can immediately go back to a time in my life where I felt like that was very, very specifically true. But you know, you get, you get on with life and, you know, and then you kind of forget sometimes what a miracle it is, what, the, what Jesus has done in our hearts and our lives, what the good news of the gospel did. 
And so I was thinking about that as we were singing and I thought, Lord, what am, what am I doing with the healing that you have brought me? Because when Jesus heals us, no matter what it is, when he heals us, it should always result in our worshiping and our serving him. It should always result in our serving him. We shouldn't just get up and go back to our, our, our normal old way, unless our normal old way was serving him. But we need to be serving out of the healing that Jesus has done in our lives. This is the life of the disciple. This is the exciting life. And I don't know what it is that God has done in your life. Maybe it's a restored marriage. Maybe it was financial help. Maybe it was healing of uh, a disease. Maybe it's, just, it's your salvation. And, and you say, Lord, I want to serve you out of that. Um, I had the privilege of being back in the D.C. area just a few weeks ago on my parents were celebrating their 47th anniversary of leading and starting a church up there. And my dad now is actually on part-time staff at Rolling Hills. That's how he retired. Um, but uh, I were up there and I, we were just literally sitting there with our family, just decades and decades of people whose lives have been changed by the good news of the gospel. And again, I was so just overwhelmed by what a privilege it is to serve God and his people. And to whatever healing God has brought about in our lives, that we would, that we would get to do it, that we, we get to serve. And I see Charlotte, you're nodding. And Bill, thank you for this cup of coffee this morning. Thank you for putting that service to good use. And, um, but just I see the servants around in the room and I go, this is it. This is it. This is the high call. And Peter's mother-in-law got this. And so here's good news for us, number three. The good news is that Jesus cares for and he elevates women. And yes, he elevates men too, and he elevates children. He loves all of his people. But in a distinctly patriarchal society, this was really a big deal. Jesus was elevating um, and loving her. I want to uh, close up with this last text. And... Uh, this is chapter 39. I'm just going to read a few of the verses. Jesus went into all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Then a man with leprosy came to him and on his knees begged him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing, he told him, be made clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. I'm going to stop there this morning. When this man came to Jesus, we have to understand that this is a Jewish man, not only with the disease of leprosy, but to have leprosy, to have a skin-like disease like this meant that you were cut off from the community of, of the, 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 the God followers. You could not go into the temple. You had to be quarantined. And so the, the, the usage of the word is very interesting. You'll see it throughout uh, the gospels that Lepers don't ask to be healed. They ask to be made clean because to have leprosy made you ceremonially unclean. So it wasn't just a physical ailment that this man had. In fact, if you were to go back to Leviticus chapter 13 and you were to look at the Old Testament laws, if you had leprosy, you would have to walk through the town yelling unclean, unclean, so that people would know not to brush up against you, not to come near you. Jesus has great compassion on this man. In fact, some of the translation actually means indignation. Um, maybe, it's, maybe it was his anger at the brokenness of this world and the sadness of what this was causing him. 
But Jesus says, I am willing, be made clean. And this man's leprosy was cleansed. And yes, here we do see Jesus' power and authority over sickness and disease, just like we saw it over Peter's mother-in-law, but we see something more. We see that by touching this man, Jesus is not just healing his disease, but he is letting him know that he is worthy, that he is loved, because to touch a man like that would actually make Jesus ceremonially unclean. But what is awesome is that this man's sickness and illness does not defile Jesus. Jesus' wholeness and healing takes over the man and he becomes whole. Jesus knew that he had to touch him, not because he needed to touch him to heal him, because we see Jesus speak words and people are healed. He needed to touch him because of the emotional trauma, because of the isolation that he had experienced to bring whole healing to him. And so lastly, the good news of the kingdom is that Jesus has compassion on the outcast. As you continue on in the series, and I know, Pastor Jason, you're gonna just crush going through Mark, but we are going to see over and over bits of the good news. This is, I just gave you four pieces of the good news of the kingdom, but there's a lot more to come, and I want you, as you read through it, to, to, to look for it. Look for the good news. Ask the Lord for his power over sickness, for his power over darkness, for his power to elevate the lowly, for his power to love the outcast in us and through us. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you. Um, Lord, we need you. We are so desperate for you, God. And yet at the same time, I, I'm, so, I'm so heartened by this message, by this first uh, chapter, Lord. I'm so thankful that the kingdom really is good news, Lord, that this is not boring religion. Um, God, that this is not just dry, dusty, informational. This is not just a duty. We have to just show up at church on Sundays. But that we are part of the newness of the kingdom overtaking the darkness in this world, Lord. And I specifically pray over Nolansville and this particular campus right now that as this building is going up, Lord Jesus, that this would just be a symbol of all that you are gonna do in that space, Lord. And that, that when people pull onto this property, Lord, that it would be your kingdom, that there would be no, that Satan would have no place here, God, that they would feel it, that you reign here and that lives would be changed here um, because this is a community who has chosen to follow you. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network. If this content has blessed you in some way, we hope you will share it with a friend and subscribe so you never miss a new sermon. Be sure to check out our other great podcasts like the Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, and the RH Women's As You Go Podcast. If you want to learn more about Rolling Hills, you can download our app, Follow us on social media or visit our website at rollinghills.church. Tune in next week for more of our series, Masterclass.